As you have heard, it is an exciting season for our church. We don't want this, this morning to be a big pep rally, but we're, we're pretty fired up. We're pretty excited about what the Lord is doing, uh, what He has done, and then what it looks like moving forward. There's an anticipation and excitement about that. And so uh, as we dig into that this morning, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, for most of my pre-adult life, some people call it childhood, um, I was a, a part of a church for a big chunk of that. I was in a, uh, a building campaign. And so I thought I'd take a minute just to shoot maybe a little elephant, if there is one. Um, that if, if you've been in that and you're sitting here this morning, you might be thinking, oh, great, here we go. Guilt and shame, we're not given enough, psychological manipulation, all those things. Um, I want to encourage you, uh, we're going to lean into God's word. We're going to lean into his word to consider what he says about his church. We're going to lean into God's word to consider what he says about his mission. To advance is to move forward with a purpose. To advance is to move forward with a purpose, not to just move forward, not to just try to figure out things as we go, but to have some real intentionality and real purpose. And our hope is that as we say that, that you would each be inclined to say, well, okay, well, what is my purpose? What is that and how do I figure that out? And as we lean into this question as a church this morning, what we're going to find out in Matthew 28 is that we do not define our purpose. We do not define our own purpose. We do not define our own identity. We do not define our own mission. And the reason for that, it has everything to do with the authority of Jesus. The setting for Matthew 28 is the events and the conversations that took place immediately following the resurrection of Christ. He went to Galilee to meet his disciples, and last time they saw Jesus, he had been crucified and buried in a tomb. And here he's alive, so you might call this a very unique moment. This hasn't really ever happened before. And he's alive, and he comes to them, and it says they were worshiping him, and some were doubting I don't know where you are this morning as you're going through worship. Maybe things are good and you're seeing God clearly. You're hearing from him. Maybe you have some doubts and some fears. If so, that was, that was the nature of the, the disciples in this moment. And as he comes to them, he, he says this. In this moment that is a unique moment, a moment where there's probably a fair amount of confusion because he was crucified and he was put into a tomb. And it, it's this big what's next kind of a thing. And look at what Jesus says. The first words that Jesus chooses are, 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 are these. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he says to his followers. Not surprise, not, hey, good news. Like, hey, you probably weren't expecting. Like, no, no, no. He, 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 it, with the, 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 a heart full of love, he looks at them and he says, first things first, all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to me. This is what he says before he tells them what the mission is. This is what he says before he tells them how this is going to impact them. What we find is Jesus in that authority is turning their focus away from themselves. He's turning their focus away from their circumstances and toward himself. Particularly, to zoom in on the authority that he has. 
So if we're going to embrace the mission that we are on, before we even talk about the details of the mission, we have to understand that the mission has everything to do with the authority of Jesus. And our first point this morning is very, very simple but big. Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth. Not some authority. He doesn't have authority that only in certain places or over certain circumstances. He has all authority, and not just on earth or not just in heaven, but both. This is important because at the moment, it may not have looked like this was the case for the disciples, right? In the moment, authority was probably a bit confusing. As, as he says, I have all authority, there, there, was, there would have been something wildly encouraging about that because they're probably looking back and saying, it looked like the authority of the scribes may have been bigger. It looked like the authority of the high priest may have been bigger. It looked like the authority of the government, of the governor, may have, in fact, been bigger. Or maybe they were thinking about the authority of the crowd, like they said, give us Barabbas. And so they got Barabbas, and Jesus was crucified. And maybe they, maybe they had thoughts of, like, if the crowd's big enough, evidently that can trump the authority of this one who we thought was our Savior. And so it's really important for them to see Jesus alive saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This would have been wildly encouraging. This would have brought about some steadfastness and some sturdiness, some stability for them in their walk. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 says this. Paul is writing to the church and he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So Paul has heard from others, and now he is telling others that Christ's authority is historically reliable. There are many witnesses to what has happened. To conquer death is an unprecedented thing, and so this has many witnesses. And he's saying it's, it's of first importance, and it's historically reliable. And then what he looks, look at what he says in verses 20 through 26. He says, but in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. It says, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Zoom in on verse 24. It says, then comes the end. It sounds kind of ominous, but we're actually talking about very good news. Then comes the end. Like, at some point, the end, this moment, then comes the end, is going to happen, and it, and it informs us. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, who's been given all authority, delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. What that means is that between this moment that we're talking about and the moment where Jesus comes back, which is the time that we live in, He is actively right now with all of the authority that He's been given by the Father, destroying every other rule, every other authority, every other power, 
moment by moment, until it is time to turn that over, this kingdom that is purified through what he has done to his Father. That's that's where we live right now, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. That's where we're living. He is overcoming, destroying every rule, every authority, and every power. And I see an Ecclesiastes connection here. I immediately thought of what we learned in Ecclesiastes, to kind of live life backwards, to, to begin with the end in mind, to live with the end in mind. When Jesus Christ conquered sin and death on the cross, God the Father gave Jesus all authority. And so right now, He is using that authority to destroy every other power structure, every other authority. And I thought about the words of Joshua when he said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. That's part of what's happening with us this morning. We're talking about embracing the mission as we move forward as a church. And it's fitting to say, choose who you're going to serve, because either you're going to serve the one who has all authority over all other power structures and authorities, or you're going to serve them. And the question is, why serve any other authority or power or rule that can and will be destroyed by Jesus Christ? Why would you put your efforts there, your time, your heart, your thoughts, your money, your resources, your children, why would you put into that? If you know that it is being destroyed by Jesus and it is as certain as anything else you've ever experienced. So there's this call in embracing the mission to choose who you'll serve because there's only one with ultimate authority. The second thing we see is that the mission of the church is defined by the authority of Christ. We gather here not because someone said, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Maybe we should all get together. No, it says in Scripture, do not neglect to meet together. This is what the people of God have done from the moment that the people of God existed. We we gather together. So the mission of the church is defined by the authority of Christ, and it says, therefore, go. And so I want to point something out that's really, really important before we look at the details of this mission that we we are being sent on as people, and it's the word therefore. Got any Team Howard people in here, fourth, fifth graders, or former fifth and sixth graders? Yep. I just want to point out how quietly they raised their hands. Did you see that? Did you all see that? It's pretty, pretty remarkable. So what, what do we ask when we see a therefore? What's the therefore? Therefore, exactly. What is the therefore, therefore? It says therefore, and it's pointing to something that has already happened. And this is a pattern seen regularly in Scripture. What God's people are supposed to do is always preceded by what God has done. We are not working out of some deficit We are working out of an abundance. We're not moving forward to try to do certain things because there's something lacking. We are called to do certain things because of what he has done, because of what he is doing, and because of who he is. It's indicatives and imperatives of the word. If if your parents say it's imperative that you do this, when Scripture says it's imperative that you do this, it's because of something that God has already done. So he says, therefore, go. That therefore is pointing back to the authority of Jesus that will not and cannot be shaken. It's a pattern in Scripture. It's a pattern that we need to see in our lives as we embrace the mission that we're called to. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Here we go with more vanity. Just when you guys thought Ecclesiastes was done and we talked about vanity, vanity, everything's vanity, everything's a chasing after the wind. Here in our text today, we have more Vanity, and particularly it's related to this. If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. 
If Christ was still dead, the authority we're talking about doesn't exist. So if Christ is still dead, and guys like me, we probably wouldn't spend a whole lot of time getting up here to preach a gospel about Jesus Christ because it doesn't have the power if he didn't conquer death. Frankly, it would probably be a better idea for you guys to find something else to do on Sunday mornings if Christ is not raised from the dead. It says, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, our faith is, there, there's a futility about it. There's a, there's a vanity about it. It's, it doesn't have a lot of staying power. You can tell people, my faith is in Jesus, but you're saying that my faith would be in someone who, who was conquered by death. So it would be vain. The preaching would have no purpose. Lives of faith would have no purpose if, in fact, the tomb was still occupied by Jesus. But it is not. Because he has authority, even over death, and because he has been raised, Christ's authority gives our preaching power. Because I want you all to know, some mornings the preacher feels ready. Some mornings the preacher does not feel ready. But the preaching has power, not because it's dependent upon some fragile, common dude that's like everybody else, but because of the, 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 the authority that Jesus has because he conquered death. That's why we continue to preach week after week, whether we feel like it or not. Everybody has good weeks. Everybody has bad weeks. Probably some weeks you're saying, I can't wait to get to worship. Other weeks you're like, Is, can I find any excuse to not go? Well, thank God that the kingdom of God is not dependent upon people who can sometimes be capricious and moody. He is perfect. He is robust and strong in his authority. And so because of that, we continue to proclaim the word of God. In those moments where we wonder if we're actually accomplishing anything and if anyone actually cares about the gospel, we can be encouraged that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. When we're struggling to stay motivated in evangelism, we can be encouraged because Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. When it feels like you're not really accomplishing much, we can have an encouragement at the authority of Jesus. When we wonder if our children are being really affected by the gospel, we depend not on our ways but on the ways of our Lord. You ever told your kids, like, hey, don't do that? And then the next thing that they do is that? Is this even working? Is the gospel even getting through? Yes, keep doing it. Persevere. Don't, 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 don't disciple your children based only on if you feel like it's working. Because a lot of times it won't feel like it's working. But because of the authority of Jesus, it is. When we struggle with our own sinful tendencies and our own conflicting thoughts, it is the authority of Christ in heaven and on earth that helps us. We can embrace the mission that he has called us to because he is in control. Some of y'all are sitting here this morning and you're still like, I'm in control. No, you're not. You don't have that kind of authority. Jesus has that authority. And he offers as a free gift his grace that you receive by faith. If you're a control freak and you have all the anxiety that goes along with that, I encourage you as part of embracing the mission to lay that down this morning to repent and to turn to a Savior who offers something much better. So it's based on his own authority that Christ himself states our mission. So if we don't understand the authority, it's impossible to understand or do the mission, but in light of it, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. He says, go, therefore. 
make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And he ends with this promise and encouragement, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. So we're going to take it one at a time, go. To put it plainly, we go because Christ has conquered death and sin. If he hadn't done that, the going would not be important. The, probably the staying would be important. The sheltering would be important. The keeping certain things at bay might be important. But because he has conquered death and sin, we can go into a world filled with death and sin because his authority is the authority in which we move forward. Rather than having this inward focus, we can actually lean out toward others. Counting others as more significant than ourselves. Looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of other people. To go is to consider that Jesus has a plan for every step forward. And, and it's a mentality that, that informs how we move, right? I, years ago, I was uh, going to a, a new uh, church gathering, and I wasn't sure. Maybe the Lord was calling me there. Frankly, I was hoping He wasn't. And we, but we were trying to be faithful to go and, and be a fly on the wall. And, we, and it was a church that had the average age was, was really high because they'd become kind of inward focused. And over the years, many years, decades, it had become, they'd gone down in numbers because they, were, they weren't like focused on other people. And so I walked in and just me and my wife were newlyweds and no kids. We walk in and there's a couple in front of us and the lady said, Honey, there's someone in our seats again this week. And I thought, oh, are you calling me here, Lord? She's upset that someone's in her seat. God forbid a new person come into this thing that we have it just the way we want and sit in our seats. And it might be easy for us to, like, judge that, but from up here we know most of you sit in the same seat every week. We kind of like things the way that we like it, right? We, we, we like to know what to expect. And if there's, if there's new people, well, that's kind of hard because, well, maybe that changes what I can do today. I want to do this, and now i got to do this. We, we, if we don't have this mentality of go, we view new people not as opportunities for gospel conversations and for discipleship, but we view them as inconvenience. And that's horrible because the authority of Christ says you'll be known by the love you have for one another. Understanding who Jesus is will lead you to be willing to make greater sacrifices for his kingdom. If you think that you have more authority and more insight and more wisdom, or even your team has more authority and more insight and more wisdom, then you will not make sacrifices that Christ might otherwise call you to make because he has more authority and insight and wisdom than you do. That's why it's faith. We have to trust that that authority is what he says it is. Faith in his authority over you will help you to be patient in tribulation. You'll know there's times that are coming that are hard. We live in a time where lawlessness is increasing and the love of many is growing cold until Jesus comes back. There'll be tribulation. You can gird yourselves up and know that I can stand firm and be patient in that tribulation and allow it to happen because my Lord has all the authority that I need for whatever he calls me to be. If it is to live, it's to live. If it's to die, it's to do so faithfully. That's what we're talking about. This mentality to go is based all on the power that Jesus has because an inward focus will make us complacent people who seek comfort over faithfulness. An inward focus will make us into people who seek comfort 
over faithfulness. And I think that's a pretty big warning for, for a group that frankly has a lot of comfort. As I read that this week, I was like, yeah, I think I, would, I, think I could lean into that. But also, there's a, there's a lot of comfort. Embracing the mission is saying, Lord, what do, you, what do you want from me in that? So it says to go, and then it says to make disciples. The only reason that Jesus has not yet returned is that he is still destroying every rule and every authority and every power in the souls of individuals who belong to him but do not yet know it. If the work was done, he'd be back. But he's not because the work is done. And there are still souls that actually belong to the Father that are currently under the oppression and rule of other powers and other authorities that Jesus will decisively break. So, he calls us to make disciples. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then it says, as it is written, blessed are the feet who preach the good news. It is not just about a a bigger building. It's not just about having our own place. It is about souls. It is about embracing the mission from God to save souls and make disciples. We cannot be indifferent about a lack of space. We cannot be indifferent about a lack of seats. Okay, maybe we'll find something else. We just got all the seats. That's all the seats we got. We cannot be indifferent about a lack of parking. We can't watch people pull in and then leave because there's nowhere to park and be like, well, all right, please go sovereign. We don't use God's sovereignty as an excuse for laziness. We cannot be indifferent about a lack of education space and classroom space and nursery space for kiddos. If God's bringing growth, we steward it. We don't reject it. We cannot be indifferent about these things. Until Jesus returns, God has placed his church on mission to draw lost souls out of darkness and into marvelous light through the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ in whom all authority rests. We need more healthy leaders. We need more healthy churches because disciple-making is not optional. It's the plan until he comes back. So it says, go, therefore, make disciples, and it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why is baptism important? It's kind of weird, right? I mean, think about it. For thousands of years, when the people of God gather, part of what they do is they take these other people who have proclaimed something, and as part of the thing, they put them under the water, then they bring them back out of the water. Like, if you didn't know anything about Jesus or Christianity, and you walked into a room full of people, dunking people in water, and then taking them out of the water, you'd be like, well, what's, uh, what's that all about? It's kind of an odd thing for people to gather and do together. Why is baptism important? Because Jesus was baptized. That's the first one. Jesus was baptized. If we're making disciples, we're making followers of Jesus. And when Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit descended as like a dove, and the heavens opened up, and you heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. As I explain this to kiddos and to adults as they're getting baptized, I want them to know that 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 means them as well. 
You see, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. We don't, he doesn't just give us little slivers of righteousness for these moments. The righteousness of Christ is counted as ours, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done, and we lay hold of that by faith. It's a gift we receive. So what I explained to my kids, I've got, I've got five kiddos. Three of them have been baptized. And as I walked them through it, I, I, it was Ella first. And I said, Ella, when, when you're getting baptized and you come up out of the water, I want you to remember Jesus coming up out of the water. And I want you to just consider in that moment there's this reality that God the Father is saying, this is my daughter Ella in whom I'm well pleased. He, he, he looks at you and he sees Jesus. For Olivia, I said, Olivia, when you, when you get baptized, when you come out of the water, I want you to hear God's voice. It probably won't be audible, but just know that he looks at you and he says, this is my daughter, Olivia, in whom I am well pleased. When I sat with my son, I said, son, I want you to know that you have a great father in heaven. And when he looks down as you come up out of the water, I want you to consider the way he sees you is the way he sees Jesus. This is my son, Henry in whom I am well pleased. And if you're sitting here today, whether you realize it or not, you have experienced that if you have put your faith in Jesus and been baptized. That is why we baptize. And I think the question is, who else needs to hear that? That's part of the mission. If we're embracing this mission that he's given to us, that's his idea, then we have to say, who else needs to hear that? Who has God put in my life that I need to share the gospel with? Or have I created a life where I don't have time for anybody that's already a believer, or that's not a believer. So there's an assessment here because we ask who needs to hear that, to hear that they can be accepted by God, to hear that they can even be pleasing to God because of the authority of Christ. The second reason we baptize is it says that it's an appeal to God for a clean conscience. I was walking with someone who had lived a life that was very, um, very against God's design. They decided that they had all the authority, that they could define their identity, that they could define their own purpose, they could define their own mission. And when they came to Christ, as I was walking with them, I asked, what do you think this verse means, that baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience? And they looked at me and they said, I know what I've done and I cannot sleep at night if I don't know that I'm forgiven by Jesus. My conscience will be filling me with guilt and shame if I don't know that Jesus has cleansed my conscience through the forgiveness of my sins. And I think that's the best answer I've ever heard. That was someone who was embracing the mission because they understand the authority of Jesus in their life. Who do you know whose conscience is seared by sin in the flesh? Who do you know that's uncertain of their eternity? Who needs someone else who loves them enough to call them to repentance out of that darkness and toward Jesus Christ. And then it says, we go, we make disciples, baptizing them, and then it says, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Conversion is not enough because it is disciples that our Lord is after. Followers. You see, it's one thing to tell people to observe Christ's commands, but it is a much higher and more involved process to teach them to observe. As a father, when I say to my children, don't do that, do that, don't do that, do this, that's telling them. But to teach them is to take time and to sit and say, here's what it looks like. Here's what what you did there. What would it look like if we were doing what the Lord had commanded? 
How does that play out today? How, in this situation, how does it play out? And it takes time. It's the kind of life where you make time for other people, time for gospel conversations that aren't rushed because you have somewhere to be. There's a much higher and more involved process to teach people to observe rather than just tell them from a distance. And then finally, part of embracing the mission is beholding that Christ's eternal presence is with us. He says, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Our Lord has not set some cosmic process in motion and then left us to figure it out. And notice he doesn't just say, hey guys, don't forget, I'm with you. He says, behold, he's to be beheld as we move forward. Part of the way we move forward the right way and embrace the mission is to honor Him and behold Him and not neglect to meet together and not have parts of our lives that are sort of off limits for our Lord, but to say, whatever it is, is it, does it include your finances? Absolutely. Does it include your schedule? Absolutely. Does it include what you watch on TV? Absolutely. Does it include what you listen to? Absolutely. Because your, your, your goal is to behold the one in whom all authority exists because He welcomes you. He has conquered death and he has conquered sin and he is worthy of our worship and it is only his presence that will let us move forward faithfully and moving forward faithfully, part of it is beholding how good and wonderful he is. Romans says nothing separates us from the love of God. There's not a place you can go where you're separated because of the authority of Christ. Acts 1 says that we have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to do what he calls us to do. So no matter what you're doing, he's there. He's providing power. He's providing insight, wisdom, steadfastness so that you can keep moving forward. And this beholding is not just an idea, but just this beautiful promise from the one in whom all authority in heaven and earth rests. He says, behold, with a promise, I am with you until the end, until Jesus, and until he takes the kingdom and delivers it to the Father. He is with us. The application this morning is 100% involvement. Why? Not because that's just what we hope for. It's because the authority of Christ merits that. There's, there's no part of my life that is off limits to the Lord. So it's 100% involvement, and it's a commitment to make a commitment. It, that's that's a, a real simple way to say that is you saying humbly, God, in light of your authority, what do you want me to do with my life? How do you want me to move moving forward? What does it mean for me to embrace the mission? What does it mean for our church? Lord, give us wisdom and insight. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We are thankful for our time this morning. We're thankful that yours is an unshakable kingdom, that you have all the authority in heaven and on earth, and that you this morning invite us to embrace this mission that you have called us to. Some of us have been on this mission for a while. For some, it's completely new and foreign and and Lord, wherever we are, we're thankful that you're with us, and I pray that we would behold that. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. We want to be a church that honors and glorifies you in everything that we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.